All right, well, this morning we are studying the prayer of Jonah as he's in this great fish in Jonah chapter 2, and so I figured it'd be fitting if we started our time this morning uh, in prayer. So let me pray for us. Um, Father, we are grateful that you are a great God. Uh, You are the hero of this story. You're the hero of our story. Uh, You are sovereign. You are in control. Uh, You are all-powerful. And you love us. You're a good father who loves us. And um, Lord, uh, we're going to see in this narrative uh, Jonah in the midst of a trial and his response in the midst of that trial. And uh, no doubt you will give us trials in this life. And uh, Lord, help us to be the kind of people who lean into you. Uh, In the midst of trials in the mountaintops and the valleys, uh, would we continue to look to you uh, in all situations? Um, Lord, I love a response of prayer here. Lord, I pray that we would be a prayerful people, and and the men in this room would be great men of prayer. Um, Lord, revival within your church, I believe, uh, starts with... uh, men like this getting on their knees in front of you, dependent on you. And so, Lord, uh, I, I even now, just uh, as we open your word, admit I cannot do this on my own, even just unpacking your word. Uh, fill me by your spirit. Give me the words to speak. Soften all of our hearts. Lord, help us to learn what we need to learn this morning. I know it's early and coffee's starting to flow through the veins a little bit, but um, Lord, help us to be awake, alert, and focused to what your word has to say to us this morning. So guide us in this time. Uh, thank you for who you are and what you've done for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so quick review. Uh, Chapter one, God calls Jonah and says, I want you to go and preach to the Ninevites the good news of who God is, and and it ultimately tells them to, uh, wants them to uh, tell them to repent. Uh, Jonah does not want to do that, so he uh, runs in the opposite direction. He plays this massive game of like hide and seek with the Lord, which good luck with that. Uh, I Every now and again, we'll walk into our, our bedroom, and we got a dog, Coda, and, and it's almost like he's trying to hide from us, but he, he, he like goes underneath the bed, um, but half of his body is still out from the bed, and so you look, you come in, you're like, I wonder where Coda's at, you know? I mean, that's the game of hide-and-seek that Jonah's trying to play here. God knows where he's at. He knows what he's doing. God's like, what in the world? You know, so God sends him this storm. Uh, the sailors uh, eventually call Jonah up and call him out. He knows the situation. He says, what, what's got to happen is you got to throw me overboard. And so they do that. Uh, the storm stops. The sailors seem to repent. They were seized by great fear of the Lord and offered a sacrifice to the Lord. And then uh, in verse 17, it says, The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So God sends this great fish sovereignly to swallow Jonah. Again, this morning, as we walk through these verses, I'm going to act a bit as a tour guide. I'm just going to show you some of the things that I saw in God's Word and was convicted by, and hopefully uh, it'll be uh, beneficial and edifying for you as well. Um, We are in chapter 2, which is uh, prayer and also very poetic in nature. You're going to see a lot of like poetry language uh, within this text. But I actually want to start with the verse right before, the, the verse that sets this whole thing up that Jonah was swallowed by a great fish and was in there for three days and three nights. Um, Now, I want to sit in a little bit of the gravity of the situation here. Jonah is thrown overboard, and as he's thrown overboard, he has to be thinking as he's sinking into the water, I'm done. 
Sailors back then in the midst of a storm, if you get thrown into the sea, you don't have near-death experiences. You just have death experiences. That was just the reality. So he's sitting there going, I'm, I might as well be dead. But he experiences God's mercy through a great fish swallowing him. Again, the hero here is a great God, not a great fish. Um, and he's in the belly of this fish. So I'm curious for you guys, in, in, on day two, it told you to, to draw what you pictured that looked like. I heard some of the guys up here, it's like, I, I didn't know what to draw. I drew like a stick fish with a little stick dude. Maybe some of you guys are more artistic than I am. Uh, but I, I mean, I, I don't know what you picture when you picture Jonah in the fish. Jake talked last week a little bit about just kind of children's books and, and what we tend to think about when we think about Jonah in the whale. And I actually did like a Google image search on Jonah in the belly of the fish, and guys, some of the stuff that would come up, you're like, oh my word, there was, a, there was one picture of Jonah that he had built a raft, you know, and he had a little cot, he was at a table with like a candle and a pen and quill, and you're like, how did you get fire in the stomach of a whale, you know, but, but I think we kind of picture that when we picture Jonah in the stomach, uh, that was not the reality of the situation. He is in the stomach of a great fish. It would have been wildly uncomfortable, I'm assuming probably in the fetal position, cold, slimy. I don't know how he wasn't digested, you know, by stomach acids, how he was breathing. God miraculously kept him alive in the stomach. But this is a very uncomfortable situation. I'm sure he's doing everything in his power just to stay alive. Now, uh, we know that Jonah, three days later, gets thrown up. But again, sit in the situation with Jonah. He doesn't know chapters three and four or even just verse 10 of chapter 2, right? He doesn't know he's going to get spit up. So he's sitting in a dark stomach. This is a serious situation. He knows that he's been disobedient, and he knows that if God does not respond, if God does not act, his life's done. It's all over. His only hope is the goodness and grace of an all-powerful God. And it's in this place that Jonah prays to God. So, so that's the reality of the situation. It's from that place, that heart, that Jonah prays to God. And instead of running from God, Jonah here is running very much to God. So verse 1 of chapter 2 says, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Now I want to talk a little bit here uh, just, just about the nature of his prayer. Uh, it is reactive in nature. It's a reactive prayer of worship and of thankfulness of how God's delivered him. Um, but Jonah was in a pinch and God saved him. His response was prayer. So gratitude followed mercy. Um, but there's a pattern here that I just want to draw. It's not just Jonah too. This is throughout the Bible, but Jonah ran from God. He disobeyed, found himself in a pinch and then prayed to the Lord. Uh, we see this all throughout scripture. If you think of like the book of Judges, the people would disobey God, they would get in a pinch, they'd get in trouble, and then they'd cry out to God and he would send them an, another judge. And it was just like the cycle over and over in the book of Judges. We see it all throughout scripture. But we also see the anti-type of that as Christ did the opposite. Christ was not reactive always in prayer. He was proactive in prayer, constant in prayer. And our call as New Testament believers is that we should always be calling on the Lord. And so maybe a good question for you this morning is, is your prayer life more proactive in nature or reactive in nature? Do you wait until you're in a pinch? Do you turn to God only in emergencies? Or are you constantly communicating with God, our Father? So, like, don't get me wrong. When we are in tough spots, we should cry out to the Lord. It should at least be that. 
what I'm pushing for this morning is a level of constancy, of persistency in our prayers at all times. Um, you know, Jonah in his prayer, uh, let's keep going here in, in verses two through three, uh, here's some of the language in his prayer. So yeah, it's sure, it's a bit more maybe reactive in nature after all this has happened, but, but he says, I called to the Lord in my distress and he answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol. You heard my voice. You threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, and the current overcame me. All your breakers and your billows swept over me. So what are two things that Jonah believes is true about God as he, as he uses some of this language in his prayer? One, he believes that God hears him. I called to the Lord and he answered me. I cried out and he heard my voice. But on top of that, God also had the power to do something about it. Not only did he hear Jonah, he had the power to do something about it. And I think as we talk about praying constantly, persistently, this should fuel our prayers. The, like This reality should, should fuel us to pray all the time because we have a God who hears our prayers and a God who has the power to do something about it. On top of that, he loves us. He's a good, good father. People, I think, don't pray because they don't believe one of these two things. You know? It's like, I don't believe God hears me, uh, or I don't believe he's got the power to actually do something about it. I don't believe my prayers actually cause anything to happen. And I think, I think that's a fatal flaw in theology. Do you believe that your prayers cause things to happen, that God hears your prayers and he responds to your prayers? There's a reality that God is sovereign and in control, absolutely, but the, the, the method with which he chooses to interact with his children is, is prayer, and he says, I will hear your prayer. Uh, Jonah believed that God heard his prayers, and he is praying because he's in this de desperate situation. And I want to I unpack you know, some of these verses here to, to show the desperation of his situation. So we keep going here in verse 4. It says, uh, But I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. The water engulfed me up to the neck. The watery depths overcame me. The seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth's gates shut behind me forever. In this prayer, there's a clear sense of anguish and desperation. He has hit rock bottom. And he is using poetic language to describe some of these things, but he's saying, I'm going to the depths of Sheol, which is essentially like the place of the dead. Although he's still alive in the fish, it's like, might as well be dead. I'm in the depths of Sheol. I'm wrapped with seaweed. There is zero hope, but he still calls out to God. Um, I, I think sometimes for us, uh, we can get to this spot where we feel like we've screwed up so bad that there's no hope. Might as well be dead. But we serve a God who is a God of grace. And I do believe that sometimes God and his sovereignty and goodness lets us uh, in our circumstances uh, become so impossible before he lets us see that is him that is delivering us. I think we see God best in our highest of high moments. We also see God best in our lowest of low moments. Uh, and Jonah had clearly hit a very low moment here, literally and figuratively rock bottom. He had to be brought to the very end of himself. Listen to what uh, Tim Keller has to say about this in his book, Prodigal Prophet. He said, it is only when you reach the very bottom, when everything falls apart, when all your schemes and resources are broken and exhausted, that you are finally open to learning how to completely depend on God. As is often said, you never realize that Jesus is all you need 
until Jesus is all you have. God uses trials and suffering to bring us back to himself, to depend on him and to make us more like Christ. So it wasn't until Jonah was literally drowning until he had his wake-up call, but God used it to help Jonah grow and to fix his eyes on him. And I believe that so many saints throughout, uh, like in the Bible and then early church and beyond to today, have been sanctified and have been grown through trials. And sometimes those trials are linked to disobedience, like Jonah, absolutely, where you go, I can connect those dots. But other times it is just simply the sovereign hand of God and his goodness and wisdom that we cannot understand that he chooses to have us walk through trials. So yeah, Jonah is a bit more in this category, clear disobedience leading to his trials. Uh, Let me give you an example maybe of that other category. I am currently reading the book through Gates of Splendor. Paul Sabino actually uh, sent out a group text a little while ago. He's like, hey, I've heard this book is amazing. I've never read it. Who wants to read it with me? And I said, I'll read it with you. Through Gates of Splendor is the story of Jim Elliott. Uh, Jim Elliott, along with four other men, uh, had a desire and a passion to reach the Alka tribe, A-U-C-A tribe, uh, for Jesus. Uh, Unreached people group, violent. Nobody wanted to be near these guys, but these five men knew that they needed Jesus. And so I'm I'm reading through this book, and uh, where I'm at right now is um, to the point where they, they finally have made contact and they're excited because uh, they see the men running to the shore that they've been trying to make con- where they've been trying to make contact with them. And, and the guys go, this is the moment. They're going to invite us into the tribe. Let's go. And the wives say, we love you. We're praying for you. Go. And they go. And at 4.30, they're supposed to hear back from these men. And it soon became 5 p.m., 5.30 p.m., 6 p.m., and silence. Nothing. And uh, over the next handful of days, they began finding the bodies of these men as all five were killed by this tribe. Not an example of disobedience, actually an example of very clear obedience. But God in his sovereignty chose to walk Elizabeth Elliot and these other four wives through it. Um, And I just want to read for you what Elizabeth Elliot says. She says, suffering is never for nothing. And you just write that down. Suffering is never for nothing. There is, in fact, no redemptive work done anywhere without suffering. Whether it's in a, a cup that God is offering to me, whether it be pain and sorrow and suffering and grief, along with many more joys, I am willing to take it because I trust him. So we can trust God when it feels like we're drowning when we're in the belly of the fish, and whether or not he chooses us to spit, chooses to spit us out on the, uh, on the shore. Quick note, jump forward all the way to 10. God decides to deliver Jonah and spit him out. That is descriptive of Jonah's trial, not prescriptive for all of our trials. We are not promised to be spit out of our trials. Sometimes God chooses to sovereignly allow us to walk through trials longer than we would want. Elizabeth Elliot lost her husband, An incredible trial. And God walked her through it and she grew through it, but God didn't undo it. Jim Elliott didn't come back from the dead. She continued to sit in that trial for the rest of her life. And you go, wow, that's crazy. And I go, yep, and then take it all the way to the end of that spectrum. Where you see Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane. says, if it be possible, take this cup from me, Father, yet not my will but yours be done. 
God, let the trial of the cross and the passion complete its work before he rose Jesus from the grave. So although sometimes we can walk through trials longer than we would want to, we know we can trust an all-powerful, sovereign, and loving God. And on top of that, on top of trust, we also have to believe that God is with us. Jonah, it says, looked towards God's holy temple, verse 4. God was always there. And similarly in trials, we look to Jesus Christ, who we can trust and who is with us in our trials. And although, again, we might be in trials longer than we'd want to, God does not abandon his people in their anguish. He is present, and when you are drowning, he is there. I want to read for you Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. Maybe you just jot this down, but it says this. Uh, But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for for I have redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters... I will be with you, and when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep you over. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So God is with us in our trials, but he's also sovereign over our trials. Uh, and I, I want to I talk a little bit about God's sovereignty. That is a theme. Uh, God, so God's sovereignty, he is, he is king, ruler, and in control of all. Um, we see that on display throughout the book of Jonah, uh, but there's an interesting play here uh, between uh, two tensions that I just want to, uh, two realities and a tension that I want to walk through. Uh, look at verse three, you know, he says, you threw me into the depths, and then verse four, but I said, I have been banished from your sight. So there's a tension that God is sovereign, but we are still humans and we have human responsibility. Yes, God banished and threw Jonah, right? But Jonah also disobeyed. God was sovereign over the whole situation, but there was also a level of human responsibility on Jonah's end. He disobeyed, which got him in that spot. And you connect it to today, and you go, yeah, I think I see this today. You know, 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Now, somebody might look at that passage and go, but I really love this person and want to marry this person, even though they don't know Jesus. I'm going to go ahead and do it. And then five years down the road, they realize their consuming center, Jesus Christ, is very different from their spouse's consuming center, which is the things of this world. And they're going, man, God, why did you put me in this situation? And you say, yeah, I mean, God's sovereign. He's in control of your situation, but you also chose to disobey him in that. And maybe some things that maybe hit a little closer to home, uh, you might cut corners at work and face consequences for those realities and go, man, God, why did you put me here? Or gossip at work and, and it gets up the chain to your manager and you get in trouble. You might, God, why are you putting me through this? You say, yeah, God's sovereign, but, but you chose those things. Uh, you might find a culture of, of anger, bitterness in your home. And you go, wow, why are you giving this to me, Lord? And then you look in the mirror and go, oh, it's because I'm angry and bitter, (laughs) right? Do you see how those dots connect? There's a tension in reality here that God is sovereign, but we as humans have responsibility. Jonah had clearly made some uh, choices that put him where he was. Um, Now, that being said, I also do believe we see a level of repentance from Jonah. Let's go back to the text. Uh, Keep reading in verse seven. It says, as my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple, Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love, but as for me, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. 
As we walk through this book, I want you to pay attention to some key uh, just realities um, or or themes, uh, and that's the theme of rebellion versus repentance. And make note of it both with Jonah and the Ninevites as we get into chapter 3 and 4. It ebbs and flows, but uh, I think there's there's a bit of debate in Jonah too, and I'd be curious what you would say. Is Jonah actually repentant in Jonah 2 in his prayer? Or is he just remorseful? Is he actually repentant or is he remorseful? I think some uh, faithful believers would maybe land a little differently. I'll show you my cards. My thought here is that Jonah is absolutely humbled and that he believes in God's grace and God's salvation and he wants it for himself. I believe he is repentant in this moment. He is confessing his sin and repenting of his disobedience to the Lord. But I also know that Jonah doesn't know chapters three and four. He knows what he knows, right? But he didn't know that God's grace would also be extended to the Ninevites. He didn't know what was about to happen. So Jonah is repenting of his current error, but there are still dark spots in his heart. He still has a hardness of heart towards the Ninevite that he still needs to repent of. So I go, yeah, there's a level of repentance, maybe a partial repentance here. Uh, But God chooses to continually patiently work with Jonah. So no matter where you land on this, is he repentant? Is he just remorseful? Um, I want to unpack those two categories a little bit. That what Remorseful is the sense of like, I feel bad that this thing happened. Or maybe you just feel bad that you got caught, right? Have you ever had this with like dads with your, your kids? You're like, you're not like actually sorry. You're just sorry you got caught. You just feel bad about those things. Versus repentance is like, no, there's like a broken heartedness and a, a willingness to change the way you think and act. So what are things in your life where you are remorseful we feel bad about it, but not truly repentant. I remember when I was salt company director, uh, or, or I mean, this would have just been throughout my time at salt staff. There's, there's two students that actually come to mind. Um, both of them failed in sexual immorality. And I, I mean, I'll just never forget this. The one came to us um, and kind of like wrote out this letter, and it was this cold calculated, I'm sorry for what I did. It, it kind of sounded like, I'm sorry I got caught. Um, it just felt off. There was, I think there was remorse in there, but it didn't seem like there was actually a brokenhearted spirit. Now, I compare that to an, the, the other salt student that's in my mind, who when, I don't, he didn't get caught, he confessed it to me right away when he, when, when he acted on what he acted on, uh, and he was completely undone. I did not need to beat him over the head with the truth of God. He was already at rock bottom, just completely undone with the reality of what he had done. And like uh, Jonah in the fish's stomach probably felt like he had hit rock bottom. He was ready to repent. And I just believe in Scripture we see God delighting in those with a brokenhearted spirit who are truly repentant. So I think we see a level of that here in Jonah too. But there's uh, some other positive qualities here in chapter 2 I just want to quickly highlight as we wrap up our time. Uh, Another positive quality is it seems like Jonah remembers God and is thankful for what God does. So verse seven, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you. And then verse nine, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. Sometimes maybe on the subtitles, this is Jonah's prayer of thanksgiving. Maybe that's what it says in your title. But Jonah remembered what was true about God, who God is and what he's done. But on top of that, he was thankful that God saved him through this fish. That was God's grace and mercy. He was very aware of that. Which, if, 
let's be honest, if we're God and Jonah's doing this, I don't know, I'd probably strike him dead and pick somebody else, you know? But God was so patient. God could have let him go. And if you abandon God and he doesn't engage, you are in trouble. Romans 1 tells us this. If we're left to our own decisions and our own path, it's bad news bears. So we need to be thankful when we are shown grace by God. And I believe because we are forgetful people, we should have rhythms and patterns in our lives where we remember God's grace in our lives and are thankful for those realities. This is something that God is currently teaching me in my life. So what I mean by that is... um, Casey and I, well, one thing that Casey and I do in our rhythms is every night, uh, right before we fall asleep, we, we pray. And what we, our prayer structure is pretty simple. We just walk through our day and remember what God did throughout that day and thank God for what he had done. It's a pretty simple format. It's a great rhythm that we've been able to cultivate in our marriage. On top of that, I've actually just created a Google Doc that I've titled uh, Evidences of God's Grace and Answered Prayers. Because I quickly forget, like God will do something amazing in my life and then I'll move on and completely forget that he, he did those things. I get to the next trial, it's like, will God come through? Well, I think if I just go back and remember what he's already done, it's like, oh, he'll totally come through. You know what I mean? So I've, I've started that doc, it's been a blessing to my life. Um, but I would encourage you, whatever that looks like, find rhythms of, being, of remembering what God's done for you and being thankful for those things. And the greatest thing we can remember is at the very end of this passage when it says, Jonah says, salvation belongs to the Lord. This is the main thrust of Jonah. It's actually in the middle of the the book, if you recognize that. Salvation belongs to the the Lord. But I would also argue it's the main thrust of the Bible. We cannot save ourselves. We need a God to save us. Jonah has not been spit out yet at this point, but he still declares that salvation is from the Lord because he's seen God's mercy. And that mercy is displayed through a fish swallowing him and spitting him out three days later. And like Jake said last week, Christ allowed himself to be swallowed by death for three days and then rise three days later so that we could have eternal life. And I I think as we go throughout this book of Jonah, I think you're going to have moments where you're going to say something in your mind like, I can't believe Jonah did that. I would never do that. But I think we have to remember that we are way more like Jonah than we'd like to admit. Uh, Jonah disobeyed and found himself in a tough spot. There was no power or ability to save himself. He had no power to appoint the fish to swallow him, and he had no power to command the fish to expel him through vomiting. God had to do both. And in the same way, we have no ability to save ourselves. J.I. Packer says that there's three critical truths to our salvation. We deserve nothing but condemnation. We are utterly incapable of saving ourselves. But God has saved us despite our sin at infinite cost to himself. The brokenness of Jonah should point us towards the brokenness in our own lives and the perfection of Christ. Let me just finish by comparing Jonah to the person of Jesus Christ. Jonah had gotten himself into a desperate place through his disobedience. His disobedience led to his trial and his suffering. Jesus was put on a cross because of his obedience to the Father and his mercy towards sinful people like you and me. Jonah was alone in the fish while Jesus hung on the cross alone, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jonah cried out in the fish, 
as, jo- as Jesus cried this out. Uh, Jonah was abandoned alone. He fell in the fish while Jesus hung abandoned and alone, abandoned by the Father and his friends. And as Jonah was delivered from his watery grave, so also Jesus emerged victorious from the grave. So as we think about the, the cross of Christ and the ways we've seen his grace in our life, our response should be the same as Jonah here. We are to remember what he has done for us and be thankful. And that's actually how I want to end our time this morning. We've got about seven minutes left here. I want you in your, in your circles. I mean, pray through anything that maybe the Lord's put on your heart as you've read this passage, as you've talked, as I've talked. Um, but I'd love the, the primary thrust of your prayer time in your circle to remember how God's worked in your life, the greatest example being the cross, but maybe other ways that the Lord has clearly worked in your life. Remember those things and, be, and just like say those things out loud and be thankful for those things. I think it's a great way we can start our day this morning is by being thankful for what the Lord has done for us. So go ahead and do that in your groups. When you're done praying, uh, you guys are free to go. So thanks for coming.